You are listening to Wyoming Park Bible Fellowship's midweek podcast, which will be discussing last Sunday's sermon, No Other Gods, from Pastor John's series on the Ten Commandments. I'm Becky Watson, and I'm here with Pastor John, my pastor and friend. Why don't you start with like a summary of the sermon? Okay, well, the... Um... The idea that there's no other gods before us is a pretty simple idea really to consider, just God has to be number one. And um, I thought about it for quite a while about different ways, and so I started with a um, a list sort of that only God is, and then how would I finish that sentence? What would be the words I could use in the list, that God is the only one who's worthy, that he's the only one who's good? And um, I started thinking, well, where in the Bible could I find text that would support a few of those? And I actually discovered that uh, the temptation of the Lord Jesus was a really good place to start. And so from the temptation of the Lord Jesus, I saw that we could see that God was the only authority, his word, and that God is the only source of all things. For Jesus, he was the bread of, you know, the, the bread of, or the word of God is more important than bread. Man does not live by bread alone. And then the third thing I saw is that um, God is a free person because Jesus said you're not supposed to put the Lord your God to the test. And then the fourth one was um, don't worship anyone else. Only God is intrinsically worthy of worship. So I had four things on the list of only God is, right? And so mm-hmm. I kind of worked through those about how we we break that commandment, how Jesus fulfilled it, and then how we're supposed to live now. So that's sort of the message. And um, if you're ready, the first question I have about it is, with regard specifically to the idea that only God is our authority, um, what are some of the authorities that people go to today that compete with God? How do we break the commandment of having other authorities before us than the one and only true God? We really put ourselves as an authority I think, um, I guess that's our first step is that autonomy. When we go to someone, if we were to change from God as the authority to any other source, we're starting with our own wisdom that we know enough to say God's not the authority and this other thing is. So even the decision to move away from God kind of reveals that we believe that we ourselves are the authority. Um, yeah, how especially ironic, actually, to even raise the question of is there another authority puts us in the posture of being the ones who can judge whether that's true right. or not. And we've already jumped off of there is only one other. There is no other God. You know, we shall have no other gods before us. Um, so self is for sure the, the foundational, but maybe some um, less foundational but yet practical ways that we seek what are some other authorities people might say or the authorities they see right well i mean there's like a um i think you mentioned in the sermon like a cultural aspect of like what is you know culturally acceptable and sometimes we do this but like well um we 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 try to describe god well god wouldn't be this way because culture says that's you know not politically correct and god you know God doesn't fit that mold, so let me make a new version of God. Yeah, and we kind of get around it that way. But also, um, you know, uh, our culture says we we don't have to ever feel guilty for anything that we do. And so we're looking to the authority of what is this culture who makes all those decisions? You know, mm-hmm. it's like a um, kind of like a broad consensus. I think other people look to specific individuals um, for an authority 
and they just trust that one person. We're kind of built to submit to an authority, and so we find a, we find that uh, in appropriate ways through, you know, worshiping other people and relationships and celebrities even. Yeah, yeah. One of the uh, the group on Sunday mentioned celebrities and um, professionals. Somehow, a person who's got a lot of letters after their name yeah. um, has authority. Um, we, we talked about different news outlets, you know, people trust what they hear on the news or um, someone brought up their own feelings, which is a subset of ourselves being an authority, but we let our own feelings push around. We don't feel like this is right or whatever. And uh, Pat, she gave us a little poem and I asked her to send it to me and she did. And, and so that little poem was, feelings come and feelings go, feelings are deceiving. My trust is is in the word of God, not else is worth believing. And so that was a, a, a sweet way to remember that our feelings shouldn't be become our authority mm. in our life. Do you think it's possible that um, you can kind of look to different things as an authority for different aspects of your life or different times or something to, to look at... Um, like one of the things we mentioned as an authority, it's not like you come to that person or that source for authority on all things, but like you're you're constantly kind of changing what authority you come to. You know, it's not really just one hmm. thing. And like with God, you really, he does need to be your one authority. You don't look to God for everything except for, and then you hold on to a, a small portion of authority to someone else or to yourself. Yeah, that whole, the idea of... Um final authority maybe needs to be expanded a little bit too because it's not like my doctor doesn't have authority in the medical realm god by his common grace has given us medical knowledge and and we can see with microscopes and we understand how biochemistry works and so there's great healing that can be done through um, medicine but we can't let the doctor be the final authority on things that god speaks to one of the issues is just because God is not exhaustive in his revelation on certain topics, and just because he doesn't tell us all the reasons why we're supposed to do a certain thing or not do a certain mm-hmm. thing, his word is still the final authority. And so um, sometimes one of the reasons we're tempted to go to other authorities because is that their answer seems more robust. It has more bullet points. Whereas God just says, thou shalt not. Yeah. And and so if God says, thou shalt not commit adultery, um, his definition and his final authority stands, no matter how many other social or political or cultural ra- rationalizations we use to say, well, yeah, but not Sometimes this Sometimes it's a good yeah, thing. Yeah. Thing. And so, um, so we still, whenever we let those... Um, earthly authorities, even the ones that God has given us through his common grace, when they when they replace God as the final authority, I get to say what's right and wrong here. Then we've put another God before him right up right, you know, right off the bat. And, but I guess the other side of that, the other side of that coin is that all truth is God's truth. And if it is true, it, it, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's, it's it un- won't contradict. Right. right. And so, yeah. Yeah. But, so it's like a litmus test of whether it's true or not is whether it submits to God's uh, word, his expressed word, um, you know. And sometimes, you know, like science or whatever provides more details, but, like, the truth we know, beyond a shadow of doubt, is what's in the word of God. 
that he's written in the Bible. Exactly. The uh, another question that I had for us is the, the um, second thread that I followed through the message was when um, Satan tried to get Jesus to put God to the test by jumping off the temple, and it's kind of a tricky one because the premise that I'm saying is that God is a free person, right? He is not. Um, some sort of a um, genie in a bottle that we manipulate to cause him to do things. So how does our use of God for our own ends, how does that break the commandment to put no other gods before me? It's a wrong thing to do by itself, but how does it specifically lead to breaking do not have any other gods before me when I try to use God for my end? So you're asking... When we sin by using God, how does that demonstrate us? Uh, it, I don't understand yeah, the question. It is a tough. It's a tough concept, and um, and sometimes I guess this happens because I follow a thread of thought and I back it into the issues. But it helped me when I understood it. But the question is: We all know it's wrong for us to put God to the test. That's wrong in and of itself. And Jesus told Satan, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. But what I also thought there was that Satan was trying to get Jesus to use a means toward an end that the end itself was not God's will. Right. He was trying to get Jesus to prove that he was the Messiah in an alternate route not through the cross, but through some trick, jumping off right. the temple. He was going to use God's promise. When we do that, when we use God as a means to an end that is not his will, how is that action of using Another example would be um, saying, well, God promised to forgive me anyway, so I can sin like this, and mm-hmm. I'll just ask him to forgive me tomorrow. I'm using God's promise to give me a pass. I'm using grace as a license for evil um how when i do that how am i breaking this in what particular way does that break the command don't put any other gods before me how am i breaking the first commandment when i do that using him thing is that you understand the questions are complicated yeah i feel like there's a specific answer you want and i hope i I give it right but (laughs) but you are not trusting god's uh sovereign plan for one okay so, so if he's if he really is in like one of the examples, and you can tell me if this is the wrong example. Um, as an organization, sometimes churches get confused and they think, well, of course God wants our organization, our church to have a good reputation. So let's cover up this scandal mm. so no one he- hears about it, which is a wrong means and a wrong end. Yeah. Right? Or, you but know. But the end seems noble because we right. want the name of Jesus to be great somehow. We can yeah. tuck ourselves into that. Right. Or even something like we want a lot of people to come into our church because that's a good thing that God would want. But maybe the means of them getting them to come to the church is maybe abandoning the gospel in a, in, in, yeah. in a certain case, yeah. right? And, and Paul so, warned against, you know, or, you know, he said clearly we didn't use trickery or flattery to, to get you you know, to bait, uh, hook and bait and switch. You know, right. that we didn't switch it on you. We told you the truth from the beginning. So those are important characteristics. So if sure. if that is a valid example yeah. to the question, then you're not trusting um, God uh, to do 
what he's going to do or not going to do. And you're not trusting that he can use, you know, sometimes he calls us to a task that is not, you know, we don't get to see the fru- fruition mm-hmm. of what it would it what he's doing through it you yeah, know like yeah, we have to trust this, sometimes we have you know. a, a common purpose instead of an of an exciting purpose so um hmm. and you have to trust god for that end too mm-hmm. right so it's like a it's i go back to you're not really trusting god's sovereignty or his power in mm-hmm. the situation and so you're in you're overly confident of your own interpretation of mm-hmm. what is and isn't the right thing to do yeah, that may be the very best way to say it. Really, is that what we're doing when we do that? Is we're, we're, we're kind of we're trying to play the cards. We're mixing the game up toward our ends without letting God be God, right? We're we're being sovereign, not Him being sovereign. Yeah, that's actually probably a more profound way to say it. What I was, the words I was fishing for was when we use a means toward our end. We are elevating our end above God's end. And yeah. so that's when we put another God ahead of him. That I say, well, I know how it should turn out. And so my end justifies me using God. And whenever I send my meet, my end, when my end justifies a means, mm-hmm. and that means is using God, I have dethroned God as the owner of the end. He's the one who gets right. to control the end. And I think you did. And, and put yourself as king. <clears throat> yeah, and you hit it right on the head as we're messing with his sovereign right to be sovereign. And so he tells us to be faithful in our church here for his glory, not for our perceived end. And, uh, and so if we get that messed up, if our means become corrupted, it's betraying that we've got another God ahead of him. We're not seeking his end. We're seeking our own somehow. Yeah. And I think that's what Satan was trying to tempt Jesus to do, because it certainly would have been very wrong for Jesus to um, think and then to act on the thought that, oh, yeah, I could bypass the cross by gaining all this notoriety through doing this this trick, this showing off God's power and his mm-hmm. promise. And it, it's a it's a strange way to violate God's sovereignty, but it is very real in our lives to use him. Mm-hmm. Are there ways that we do that? We've already mentioned some good examples about how churches might cover up a scandal or they might otherwise use some sort of um, worldly marketing technique to advance our footprint. Mm-hmm. Is there any other examples of how we use God? Use God. Well, I think um, it does. It's not usually successful, right? When we bargain with God and um, mm. we say, "Well, I'll I'll uh, give up this money," and or I'll, you know, you come up with some sort of criteria of why you think mm. you should earn some specific blessing from God mm. about, like, you know, a certain, you know, lifestyle sure. or. Maybe you want a spouse or a child and you feel that you deserve yeah. more than what you have. And so you say, okay, but I, I've served you. I've read my Bible every day. You know, that actually, that reminds me of uh, Tim Keller's recent podcast where he was saying that sometimes when we find ourselves in a season of depression, we can be especially discouraged because we feel like we have done all the things that we are supposed to. We checked off our list, we read our Bible, we pray. You know, we sing, we do all the things. And so, God, you need to give me, you know, I should have a happy life. I should be, you know, happy all the time. And the truth is, like, like that isn't really how it works at all. Right. You know, it's it's sort of like a deeper, more important thing than that. And so 
when uh, all of our own righteousness is sometimes a little bit like that, where we're trying to do something to get something Mm -hmm. instead of recognizing that we have a relationship and that itself is the means and the end to to uh, our purpose the right, the right goal yeah i i've been moved by tim's teaching on job in that way also you know what satan accused job of is only loving god because of what he got for it that there was this um reciprocity there was this i can't think of the legal term right now but um you know the idea that you quid pro quo or something yeah. is that how it goes where you do something and someone does it in return and in what Job needed to learn, what God wanted to prove, and what Satan was accusing Job of not being true was that Job loved God for God, not mm-hmm. for what God did. And when we think that we will only be faithful to God when he does exactly what we want, hey, I did all my pieces. I didn't cheat. I didn't do this. I didn't lie. You need to come through with this blessing and this blessing. What's the, what's the deal with this cancer? What's the deal with this setback in my life? When we do that, we've actually, we're, we're out loud admitting that we love something else more than God himself. And yeah. that's exactly the violation of having another God before him, that we've we've expected him to do something for us as if he owed it. We've, re- we've not let him be a free person. We think he's a formula that has to be, and it's an insult. And in Tim Keller, like you mentioned, I, I remember him saying, as individuals, we hate to be loved that way. If we have a lover who loves us conditionally, only as long as we're cute or funny or perform well. Or provide we money. Have, or, yeah, yeah. It, we're a conditional. When we have a conditional relationship, it's, it's uh, exhaustingly and sad. And, um, and God wants to be loved for himself, too, not because of what he does. And so, um, yeah, it's yeah. a good example. But that even, it, it doesn't work, though. You no. know, like, yeah. it... it like, God does bless, and I love the way He blesses. Sometimes it's His kindness that leads us to repentance, right? I mean, so He, He is, and He provi- free. And, and He promises yeah. eternal riches, and He is free to do that. But He, He's always moving us toward loving Him for Himself. And I'm so grateful that in my own life, that Jesus has become my treasure more and more, not the other tangible benefits of being a Jesus follower. It's impo- you know what I mean. Yeah, it's impossible to know this before Jesus has changed your heart. Right. But when when you treasure Jesus most of all, yeah. when you really put God is there's no yeah. other gods before you. Yeah. It is the richest of lives, mm-hmm. the most abundant life that you can experience. Like uh you w- you know, if you're given the choice now, would you rather have um a lottery win that brings you far apart from God or a cancer diagnosis that brings you close to God. When Jesus changes your heart, you recognize the value in a cancer diagnosis that would bring you closer to God. You would pick that. Amazing. Because it really is, that's, that communion is so sweet. And it, I mean, he really does ring our hearts like a bell. Yeah. And he knows us so well. He provides exactly what we yeah. need and want. For sure. Fills our desires. It really is... Mm what we you know it yeah. really is worth it yeah not just in a theoretical esoteric way but like in an experiential Personal. emotional Personal. way yeah. as well yeah. yeah and i'm i'm reminded how gracious jesus is to accept us at the beginning when we are stammering like jacob and said if you'll if you'll bring me back here i'll give you half of what i want yeah you know we are at the beginning we are so uh 
quid pro quo in our thinking. But he's okay. He'll 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 he he makes us love him. He wins our hearts, and it's a it's a beautiful thing. This sermon actually um, brought Jacob to my mind quite a bit mm. because um, let me back up and, and explain one thing. Um, I've shared this before, but one time I was studying the attributes of God for teaching the kids. And the thought occurred to me that each of the attributes of God are probably more true about God than we comprehend or believe ourselves. Like, as we get closer to God, we understand more. So, like, he's more holy than we we think he is. He's more merciful than we think he is. And so, all of a sudden, I had the thought of how God is more um, omnipresent and imminent than we think he is. And um, all of a sudden, I had the sense of, like, God being right there with me, like inches from my face, looking at me. And it made my heart race. It was kind of scary to, to think about how, how close God is. And when you, when you think about this command, get these gods out of my face, that's because his face is right mm. looking at you, whatever you're doing. So when you are putting those other authorities in front of God, I mean, he's right there watching. It's not like he's far away. He's close by, right? Now, what I was uh, thinking about Jacob, pair that with he's the God who wrestles Mm -hmm. with Jacob. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's the uh, uh, all-powerful creator God, so transcendent, Mm -hmm. so completely imminent and omnipresent. He knows everything. There's no room for all this other stuff is just silly. Like mm-hmm. there's no room for anything else. And then he still has like the patience and the mercy to wrestle with Jacob and bring him slowly into mm-hmm. his plan and to to work on pruning mm-hmm. us. You know, it's like, it's really hard to hold those two extremes in your head mm. that he would be the powerful God that we should have no one other, but then he also uses us for his purpose. Yeah. And he pretty amazing. I heard a message not long ago <clears throat> while you're talking about that Jacob, that, you know, when uh, his father said, who are you? And he said, I'm Esau. He lied about that. And Jacob was a liar a lot of times in his life. And here he is wrestling with God and God says, who are you? What's your name? And he says, I'm Jacob. It might, have, it might have been the first time he ever said it with an honest heart. Mm. And so God was so kind to bring him to that level of confession and repentance. Well, we are enjoying this conversation for sure. Um, one last question. We, The list of only God can, I had four things on the list. What are some other things that could have been on the list that would have made the sermon even longer? <laughs> what are other things that would be equally valid candidates that only God can be or only God is? And then when we do like authority, and when we switch somebody else in, we're violating the first commandment. So what, what are some other things that only God is? Well, that presence one is a big one for yeah, me. Yeah. Only God is... In our heart, yeah. With us so totally and completely so all totally, the time. Yeah. He's he's more conscious about me than I am, you know. Hmm. And he know and I guess along with that he knows all things and So only God knows everything, you know? Yeah. Some of the group on Sunday said only God is trustworthy. Um, only
only God is love. Only God saves. So when mm -hmm. we go to our own works of righteousness for salvation, by definition, we're violating the first commandment right away. We're making ourselves right. a lawbreaker by making ourselves try to be righteous to save ourselves. Um, only God can satisfy or give us joy. Only God is our peace. And uh, the last one we said was... Oh, man, only God is our peace. How many different yeah. places do we go to find peace? Or escape versus peace. You know? Oh, yeah. 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 And then the last one we mentioned is only God is our glory. We boast in the Lord, and we ought not boast in anything else. And so when we go to any other source for, man, that's why I'm cool, or that's why I'm significant, then we've gone to a glory other than the glory that God deserves and he alone. So, Isn't it true that you you look for, anytime you look for those things in some place other than God, you end up being disappointed and empty? By definition, yeah. And so it's actually an act of love that God tells us, come on, make me yeah. the only God in your life. Because then your heart will sing. I mean, yeah. then it then it this works. This is the only place you're going. I am the only person in which you will find these ultimate truths. And uh, I'm not telling you to go else, not go elsewhere. For me, I'm telling you for you, right? He loves us, and He knows we need Him, right? As His creatures in His image, we need that Him as our only God. So for sure, you ready to pray? Yep. Father, thank you so much for loving us that way for being so gracious and we we want you to be our only god may it always be in our hearts in jesus name amen thank you for listening to wyoming park bible fellowship's midweek sermon discussion this podcast was made by wyoming park bible fellowship a church in grand rapids michigan to learn more about our church please visit our website at wpbiblefellowship.org happy thanksgiving and thanks again for listening